Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, the expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine, and the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. We've had a lot of interesting topics, and now today we're talking about... Anemia. Okay. And when we think of anemia, we've spoken about that before in the past, but for the most part, it's been with women, correct? Well, anemia is low blood count, and women usually have more problems with low blood counts because of their menstrual period and their fibroids and all the uterine abnormalities. But Mm -hmm. today we have a man whose anemia got to the point where it was a life-and-death situation. And Eric will tell us about the trials and tribulations of trying to find an answer when, and what to do when there wasn't an answer. And uh, that's why he's here, to tell the story of you know, life and near death. Welcome to the program, Eric. Well, thank you. And as we ask all of Dr. Lichten's patients, we like to get to the very beginning and find out what brought you to Dr. Lichten. And we've talked about its anemia, but how did this all come about for you? I was referred by my daughter approximately a year ago. However, after going through a divorce nine years ago, um, I lost, I don't know, all of my energy. Uh, (laughs) That can happen. I I felt like uh, the weight of the world was on top of me and it was never coming off. Uh, I was down about half a breath. Some doctors said I had uh, mold in my lungs. I don't know. I just know that um, there was no quality of life left except going to work to try to make stay ahead of uh, the uh, court-ordered payments. I hear you, man. I'm going through that right now, so I, I'm right in your wheelhouse. But so you were, like, feeling uh, poorly, and you were thinking this was because of your situation? I just didn't know. Yeah. I just know that... When they said maybe you have six months to live about seven or eight years ago, um, I believed them. Who said that? Well, I went to a a homeopath MD, female Uh in Ann Arbor, and uh, I went to her specifically because she had made some other remarkable diagnosis for our family, or my son in particular. Uh And uh, she looked in my ears and said... uh, what kind of doctors do you have? Uh, I don't need tests. It's like glue through your ears, and it's going through your whole system, respiratory system. Really? Everything was hardening up. I could feel it in my lungs, although nobody could see it. Nobody could test for it. It was, you know, you talk about lonely and feeling like you're out there somewhere, and no one knows what's going on. And when you when you describe what's going on, they look at you like, you know, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I was at. I had gotten to the point where I was crawling up the steps to my second story apartment. And I was thinking, well, I'm just really depressed. And instead, people started telling me I was looking like I was gray and um, orange, different colors. And um, I started going to doctors. Mm-hmm turns out I was, in fact, I drove myself to the hospital. It was after a private ping pong tournament. I got up and played the winner and uh, went and drove myself to the hospital. And uh, my blood count was down to five, my hemoglobin. And uh, I had no idea that was going on. 
you know, a level of five is near death, is it not? Right, because a normal hemoglobin for a male is almost 16. Yeah. So he's running about one-third of normal. Man. And so in your mind, though, you were just, you didn't know what was going on. No, and that's where the nightmare just started because there didn't seem to be any help after that either other than a few pills. You know, what? Right. What am I supposed to do? You went to the hospital? Yes. And what did they say at that point beyond that you had this low hemoglobin level? I was there five days. They said I was bleeding internally. They couldn't find it. Well, how do they know? Just because of the level? They're guessing at the internal bleeding? They, as Eric will say, they, they're scopes. And what we have was we have two types of scopes. Uh, the first scope is, because uh, there was some black stool, I assume, at this point in time, is they do what's called a sigmoid or a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And colonoscopy passes a 36-inch tube into the colon looking for polyps. And uh, this is a routine test for people over 50 mm-hmm. to see if there's a bleeding polyp. The other test called an EGD, which is an esophageal diagnostic gastroscopy is when you pass a tube down the throat into the stomach looking for a stomach ulcer. And mm-hmm. Eric will tell you he went through this test, was it now six times, both, twice? You tell yeah, us. Approximately that, yes. Yeah. So by the time I had met Dr. Lichten, I'd been going through this two and a half years approximately. I've been through the test twice. And, um, you know, there, <laughs> other than some... Iron pills that I couldn't hardly digest. I couldn't get my count up. I could get the hemoglobin count close, but I couldn't keep taking it because it was tearing my stomach apart. And no one was listening, it seemed like. I mean, I'm sure somebody was, but nothing was happening, and I was losing hope, and I had no idea. I, I was just weak all the time. I I didn't even know how I was going to make it through the next day, let alone... You know, the next few hours, some days. Well, yeah. I mean, you were already depressed, right? And you weren't feeling good. I mean, from your relationship problems. Right. Now you're dealing with the physical. It's feeling like crap every day, basically. (laughs) And and who do you go to? Who's going to listen? Who has any clue of what you're talking about? So you were going to internist as well and trying to get a a read from them? Yes. But... but, uh, I also went to a um, gastroenterologist. But, you know, I kept losing count. I couldn't keep taking these pills. Everything was just, it was a nightmare. I I was just, here I am every day. I'm planning to live and planning to die at the same time. I was a little bit conflicted. Yeah, I can tell. It's not fun. The thing with internal medicine, or medicine as is practice, is you cut the part body up into parts Mm -hmm. so part one you're depressed so you see the psychologist or psychiatrist part two is you're bleeding rectally therefore you have to see a gastroenterologist number three you're anemic so you have to see a hematologist okay number four you know if your blood pressure is up a little bit you see an internist it's five so uh you know eric's got one day a week to see each one of the doctors yeah it's like a full-time job trying to get healthy that's right and no one had referred me to a hematologist or, I forget, one of the others. But, you know, we're still working from a 
real basic game plan that mm-hmm. wasn't working. So that's more frustration. You're you're going all over the place. You're still feeling bad. They're not really telling you anything. Uh, no, no. But I I can see that look look in their eyes that they can't wait till I leave. So do you feel that they were thinking that you're a little off mentally and and you're making this up? Is that what you're suggesting? No, no. I I just I don't know what I was thinking. I was so lost at the time. You know, I couldn't focus. My job is a test driver, so you know having this type of a problem is it gets dicey when uh, you're out there driving seven hours to schedules on test track and you can't focus anymore, and you know you're relying on your last whatever it is that keeps you going, and that kind of runs out after a while. See, the problem with medicine, the way we have it defined today, is everything's a protocol. And what happens is we have Eric that doesn't follow protocol. It's not his fault. He didn't write the protocol. His body wrote the protocol. He says, well, you know, if someone's bleeding, we give him iron. And the iron makes a count comes up, but his count doesn't go up. Well, he's bleeding. It has to be in his gut. Well, we rule everything out. Let's go ahead and find where it's bleeding. Is it bleeding in the top half or the bottom half? Well, it's not bleeding in the top half or the bottom half. Well, maybe it's bleeding in the middle part. Well, we have no way of diagnosing the middle part. Therefore, we don't know what to do. Therefore, we throw up our hands and say, next patient. Really, and and really, all they had given you was, or for from an advice point of view, was to take iron pills. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> you laugh at that, Doctor Lichten. I laugh at a lot of things that you and I have seen here, and I sit back and saying, you know, I don't laugh to say if a doctor says I don't know, because we all don't know. There's patients I don't have answers for, and mm. I wish I did, and I just say I don't know. But when they do show them that there is something that works, but they didn't learn it in medical school or they didn't know about it, and it's simple and safe, and then they just don't think to apply it, and the next person comes in and they throw up their hands and says, I don't know, or we don't want you to know that Dr. Lichten or Dr. Ashton or someone else has the answer, just go over there and you'll feel better. That's what really pees me, pisses me off. That's mm-hmm. what pees me off. Is we're doctors, we're supposed to be helping and healing people. We're not lawyers who are just out there to take money out of our po- other people's pockets. We're out to help. So if you know there's an answer, and maybe not the way you want it to be, but it works, well, we have an obligation to take care of people. And that's what perturbs me is the interruptions, the interference in healthcare that could be made so much simpler if, in fact, we just let the truth get to the top. So what were these other doctors missing? Well, they only had certain protocols. If it can't find what's bleeding, then they gave him iron. And that is one method, but it wasn't working. He got down so low one time that they, you know, Eric will tell you, they said, well, you need a blood transfusion. Eric said, no, if you don't get a blood transfusion, you can die. He says, well, you know, that's my religion. Uh, I'll die. Well, if they can't find the bleeding anywhere, and they're doing scopes and they're doing scans, um, where where's all of the blood going? Well, if they can't find it. If we walking through the interview one step further, when I saw Eric, and he told me the story, we have a tool that the other doctors don't have. We have expertise with testosterone and the related steroids, mm-hmm. and the side effect of testosterone is it raises blood count. That's why people who are using testosterone replacement donate blood. 
So the logic to me is if someone has normal blood count and I'm going to raise it higher with testosterone, I got a guy here with low test, low blood count. If I give him testosterone, I could raise his blood count to normal. And I had low testosterone. Did you, you, do you remember the numbers originally? Around 200. Yeah, really, 200. That's, See, that's, that's well below. 300 is considered low. Right. So 200 is very low. Right. And, and you're not uh, too old of a guy either. And I had asked, I had gone, I don't know, about approximately five years ago to an endocrinologist to ask specifically regarding testosterone. Maybe it hadn't dropped yet, but they said I was in the normal range. And was that with that 200 they were saying? I, I don't know what the numbers were back no. then. Uh, and what made you think about testosterone with them back then? I just wanted, I didn't have any bright light going on. I wanted to feel better. I just wanted to feel stronger, as we call the time. But somewhere you heard that testosterone would help that? Oh, I know. I, I didn't have erections, spontaneous erections oh, okay. anymore. You know, it's funny how many guys get to doctors for other medical conditions and they get there for that reason, right? Well, you know, doctors, you know, when, when guys are having erectile issues and it may be coronary related or something like that, they, they end up at the doctor's office most times for the Viagra as opposed to, you know, checking the, the, the real cause of why they're not getting the erections. No argument here. It's just the guys in our office found that when you replace the testosterone, we, put, we would put Viagra out of business unless they're trying to abuse some young girl. So. <laughs> Don't go there. So, okay, so you, were, you had done some research on that, and that was a, also and he a actually, problem. He actually made the right diagnosis, and the doctors blew him off as they do because they're not trained to think about making the body stronger from the inside out, which is really what you and I have been talking about for the last you know, 30, 35 weeks. Mm -hmm. What we do is give the body what it needs to work mm -hmm. and make things better. You know, at some point when you're as desperate as I was, and I wanted some quality of life, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being greedy. You don't care about the hows and whys. It's if it works, just give it to me. Let me worry about all the other stuff. If it works, you get the right outcome. Let's go with that until we figure out something else. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, risk versus benefit, patients being able to play a role in their own health care. Oh, definitely. That's what we're all talking about. That's what we're talking about with you know the future projects. But uh, uh, same story I said 20 years ago when the urologist said to me, when I proved my levels were too low, he says, aren't you afraid of prostate cancer when you're 80? I said, no, I'm afraid I won't make it to 43. And he still wouldn't give it to me when I would sign release. So he wouldn't give me the stuff because he had no experience. So unless we educate the public that there are options and make it available to them, we'll continue to have people with Fibroids who bleed, Eric with his gut that bleeds, uh, Denise with her seizures, um, uh, Dilja with her rheumatoid arthritis, uh, Michaela with the uh, uh, Crohn's. I mean, all these people have diseases that we've been able to, to really change their lives and treat. And it's cheap and it's simple and it's available, but it's not in the protocol books. Therefore, the doctors don't know about it. So it's up to the patients to educate the doctors. Well, how do doctors deal with patients when they have to go off protocol? You have to understand both here in the United States, here and in the world, 
going off protocol is almost like putting your head on the chopping block. We, just like with care, we talked about what happens in the hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they teach you protocols. The protocols are drug-driven, which mm-hmm. is pharmaceutical-driven. And the reason these protocols work is because they have been established to be the sine qua non, the established treatment. Mm-hmm. There are other treatments that may or may not work, but they may not get into the book. Now, if you're in Europe, there is a health czar, you know, very similar to what we're expecting from Obamacare, and the health czar says, if the person comes in, this is the way the protocol is. Mm-hmm. And the protocols within the hospitals within the United States are really very similar. You know, someone comes in emergency room bleeding with chest pain, you do this, 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 and this. And for emergency care, that works very well. But what happens when there are conditions that don't work? So, example, with Crohn's disease. Well, if you came in with ulcerative colitis and bleeding bloody bowel movements, 20 years ago, what would you treat with? Well, you treat them with uh, steroids enemas. Well, we've gotten away from the steroid enemas. Now you give them high-dose IV steroids. Now we get away from the IV steroids. Now you give them uh, a different kind of drug. Now the new drug out is called Humira, $16,000. When the truth is, if you go back 50 years, what they did was they gave them a good shot of testosterone. And it worked well. So 50 years ago, it was 1,000 milligrams of testosterone, and you fixed most of the Crohn's, but because the drug companies have gotten into making the protocols, it's lost. So if you're 1,000 milligrams? Oh, yeah. A week? Well, in the, you, know, you, to, you t- tone it down, but in the beginning when the guy is bleeding and you want to get some fast results, remember now we're using some growth hormone too, yeah. so we can modulate the numbers down. And I, you, know, you and I have talked 200 to 400 milligrams, but in the beginning there were some cases we even gave 1,000 milligrams to women. But the point was, this was 1960. This was the standard care in Harrison's textbook of medicine. That was there. We were doing it. It worked. But as the drug companies get involved setting protocols and buying the professors of each department, different drugs get into play, and these drugs reach all the way up to the top of the government. So if you're in Europe right now and you had ulcerative colitis, you could not get testosterone. But if you did, that doctor loses his license because he didn't follow protocol. So the thing people have to realize about Obamacare or a health czar is it means no creativity. It does Even if you have a better answer, you can't do it because everyone's going to get the same care so the same drugs are pushed on the same people no matter what. So in this case here, we have a gentleman comes in with a problem. No one was thinking outside the box. They followed their protocol. They kept looking. They said, yes, you're bleeding. And one of the surgeons says, we'll just open you up. And we'll cut out a middle piece of your bowel and see if we stop the bleeding. That was one of the answers. Really? And that's what someone suggested to you, Eric? Well, he suggested to me, and I did not refer the, Eric to the patient. And the guy's a decent surgeon. He says, well, when we get frustrated, we just go in there and start yakking, yanking things out. I said, well, I think I probably can do better. So with Eric, we had, I had him go see the right gastroenterologist who repeated the scope from the top and repeated the scope from the bottom and even put a camera pill in to see if they could find the bleeding in the small bowel in between and they came up with zilch. And then I went ahead and sent him to a hematologist and said, look, I can't maintain his iron. We know from the blood tests that we run as part of our standard protocol, his iron was very low, even though he's a male and most males who eat red meat and have uh, certain decent hormone levels, have reasonable amount of irons, his was almost zero. So we could give him enough iron, even though we went to the liquid iron, Geritol, dating back from the 1920s. Geritol. Did they still make that? <laughs> yes, they do. Wow. So the hematologist that I sent him to said he has iron deficient anemia, and he hooks him up, 
and he runs in IV iron. Mm -hmm. But what we did for Eric was use our knowledge about testosterone raising blood counts. And Eric gets about 200 milligrams of testosterone weekly. He'll tell you what it does for his mornings, but that's another story. But the bottom line is his count's been up as high as 16 without getting blood transfusions. And he's had his energy level up, and he comes and goes. And he took a Motrin one day and ended up with bloody stools, and he dropped his blood count by five full points. And, you know, I rubbed my, you know, head and said, can I give you topical Motrin next time? Don't take the pill. And uh, there's thing times he comes in and he's feeling weaker and more anemic and we give him a little extra testosterone and there's times he does well. But he has an option now of not saying there's no hope and there's nothing anybody can do because they don't know how to stop the bleeding. We are making his body make more hemoglobin to keep ahead of whatever is going on. We haven't cured them, but we let the body stay ahead of the problem. I can tell you that the stools and the color are intermittent now, and I'm having longer stretches where I can see no sign of bleeding, you know, like for weeks at a time. Now, it does seem to come back, but I was having stretches where it was just constant. So in my mind, things are getting better. It's just taking a while. So we're treating it like an ulcerative colitis that the body can't has a raw area that doesn't heal. And even though the doctors can't find it, it walks like a duck to me and quacks, so therefore it's a duck. And we know by giving him testosterone, we use a lot of nandrolone for him too because nandrolone is more healing. That his energy levels are up. Uh, he still has all his emotional and family and job issues, but, you know, there's times he comes in and tells me stories that, you know, life is back to normal. Well, that's good to hear. You know, although we won't tell the stories on the air, but the point is it's hope. Yeah. He's got a life back, and that's what he didn't have before he got here. So before you got here, life was not good, obviously. You'd gone to all these other doctors. You weren't getting results. You were referred by your daughter, and now your first visit with Dr. Lichten. What was going on with that very first visit? He listened. Weak. Real weak. You were feeling weak when you came to see him? Yeah, I was always feeling weak. But that specifically. And I probably didn't have much color. But what, when you were meeting with him, and, and he's listening to you now, are you getting a different feeling uh, that this doctor might have something, <laughs> a better idea of what's going on with you than the others that you'd met with? I didn't know from the first meeting. Dr. Lichten's a, a very uh, nice man, generous man, but um, he's also you know, pretty much done to business. And I've been through so many doctors. I, I, just, I just couldn't I couldn't tell. I'm not a good patient because I've had some arguments with the other doctors. I haven't with Dr. Lichten that. Uh, the person with final responsibility for my health is me and not them. And it, but he, he, you know, he's always been real good about listening to me. <laughs> so that's a difference. The others, uh, they hear it, but I don't think they listen. Oh, they get upset, don't they? They're offended almost. That well, I tell them not to be, but I'm telling them that's just the way it is. It's my body. But we start with every patient the same way, and that we looked at the blood tests. And the blood test showed low testosterone. The blood test showed low iron. The blood test showed low ferritin. 
It showed he was bleeding. He reported the dark stools. Uh, I sent him to the specialists, the good ones that I know, who you know did what they had to do and came back and said, we don't know. But at least we knew that for the third time or the sixth time, he had had scopes on tops and bottoms and inside out, and no one had an answer. And then I presented the opportunity we had of using a simple, cheap, 60-year-old drug to uh, see if it would raise his blood count. And we went with liquid vitamins and uh, liquid iron and said, see what you can take, to, and we'll see if your gut will work better with the hormones in place. And uh, within a few weeks, uh, his count came up. I'm not going to say it stayed up. It went up and down. We have a ongoing trauma session You know, every week. Where are you to this week, Eric? Are you up? Are you down? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you bleeding? Are you not bleeding? I mean, it's it's a roller coaster, no question, but at least we aren't getting to that hemoglobin of five. You have to make a decision whether with your religion to take blood or die. So avoiding that, to me, is a positive every time I see him. Yeah, explain that a little bit, Eric, the, the religion part of this. Well, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been active for a few years. I've tried. I'm trying again. Here and the reason is I had no energy. So, but not taking blood, it's, I've already made up my mind on that. That's, uh, that's not some traumatic thing to, for me to, uh, concern myself with, uh, you know, I made the decision and when I was in the hospital for a week and no one came to visit and everyone was 10 to 15 minutes away, I'm talking about family, I, um, uh, I prayed to God in a way I hadn't prayed before because I got a little bit unnerved by the whole experience when I found out that they were only giving me about a 50-50 chance to make it to the end of the week. I didn't know that. Um, But that chance was lowered, I would imagine, because of your refusal to take blood. Right, and they decided, you know, they had to send me home because why else, what else would there be to do, really? And, but when I left, the last hour I was there, I found out the nurses had had quite a fight with the doctors, they told me. <laughs> and uh, the fight was over whether to send me home because my blood count was no higher when I left than when I came and I live alone. And I've been crawling up the stairs, you know, to my apartment and that sort of thing. But for some reason, my count came up pretty good within a few weeks. I bet they had time. you signing releases, though, didn't they? Oh, I don't know. They, The nurse said, well, here, before they took out the IV, I thought you'd want this. They were really kind of irritated with the doctors, and it was a, a um, last injection of Dilata to go home. Really? <laughs> I guess they were uh, making sure I was comfortable if I was leaving for the last time. Comfortably numb. You know, that's got to be a little frustrating, for doctors, though, doesn't it? I mean, you respect a patient's religious beliefs, but if there's a situation where you need to do a transfusion and they want to refuse it because of their religious belief, uh, it sounds like that's a... Well, they don't need to do it. They don't need to do it? <laughs> Let's just get that out of their mind right up front. Who doesn't have to do it? The doctor. Doesn't have to refuse? No, doesn't have to do the transfusion. Well, no, we understand. I know back I had an experience, um, gosh, it's now... 30 years ago, 77, uh, I uh, was at part-time uh, appointment. I was in Louisville at the university, and I was covering for someone. They called me downtown, and I'm living in the suburbs, just like here. It's about 
30 minutes to get downtown. I come to see this patient that's a clinic patient, mm -hmm. and uh, she was miscarrying, and she was Jehovah Witness. Her blood count was 4.1. And there's blood everywhere. And she's conscious enough to sign the form that says, even if I die, no transfusion. So, you know, respecting my patients. I went and took her to the operating room knowing that, you know, even if everything went perfect, there wasn't a guarantee. I don't remember how low she went. I don't remember we've got down to 2.9 or some ridiculously low number, but she survived. Okay, so the bottom line is I'm not in charge. I can do the best I can. I respect my patients, and I want them. I'll do everything I can to help them, but I'm not going to overstep my bounds. Mm -hmm. So someone was watching out for her at 4.1. Yeah. With blood everywhere, so someone's watching Eric at 5.1. So it's not the first time. All right, so now you're at Dr. Lichten's office. And oh, by the way, and I acknowledge that it must be difficult for the doctors when they can see a clear path and they can't take it. I, I, I get it. That would be very frustrating to me if I were the doctor. I mean, and, and again, no disrespect to your religion. It's just if you know that you could do something that would keep someone alive, well, how do you think it is for me? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but you're making that choice. Yeah, I understand. I, I mean, understand. you're making the choice based on your belief. So that I mean, that, for me, it's an opportunity to maintain integrity. Yeah. For them, it's a roadblock, and it's something they don't want to deal with because they want to save you. I get that. But yeah. the thing that you know, the thing that we've been teaching here is that it's not just you know you come to the professor, you come to the teacher, and he puts out his arms and say, you know, my son, I will heal you. This is how we do it. Uh, this is a interplay of a patient's needs, emotional and physical, religious and scientific, uh, dogma and uh, neighbors and family. And you're trying to educate them to make a decision based on what you think is a fair and equitable point of view. And I have patients who, no matter what you do, they're not going to get it. Um, you know, I, I, I got a thousand examples. But in time, some come around to say, let's see what works. And if it works, then that's 95% of the way home. Yeah. And that's what Eric, you know, we get around to say, let's try this. And Eric says, okay, let's try this. And then Eric is the one who decides whether it works or not. So, Eric, when Dr. Lichten laid out this protocol idea of his... Mm -hmm. Uh, did you buy that initially and say, good he, idea? I, he explained basically um, the hormonal crescendo is that, and the book that he had just come out with mm -hmm. and how if you change this at the top, it changes the next level. And uh, I keep going back to the book and try it because I forget things, forget to do things, and I try to keep tweaking the thing. And, yeah, it made sense to me. It made sense to me intellectually uh yeah it it did it it so you know how the truth has a ring to it when you hear it yeah it's an awakening it's a it's an aha moment whatever it is i felt dr lichten was on the right track and i wanted to hear more and i wanted to uh, try whatever was available all right so then he's putting you on uh, some liquid vitamins with iron and including the testosterone and the nandrolone, 
And after week one, week two, when did you start to notice a difference? I noticed a difference within a couple of weeks, but it was also after getting IV iron at the same time. The IV iron along with the uh, hormones, injectable hormones together, and the uh, supplements. The IV iron and the testosterone seem to be the, those two together seem to be the trigger for feeling better rather quickly. Yeah, you so, were doing the the IVs here. No, what happens is we have specialists in many fields, uh-huh. and uh, each one has knowledge that you know is going to be unique. And IV iron has an issue in that if you use the IV iron wrong, you can actually send someone into shock. So the hematologists have very expertise in who and how to test and treat. So I sent uh, Eric to a hematologist I've known for you know 30 years, and uh, I treated former family members of mine. Didn't always agree with me. Matter of fact, it took about 15 years for him to understand what I was doing, but he understood with this individual that he was iron deficient. He didn't, you know, the testosterone issue aside, he says, yes, I know he's iron deficient. He's bleeding. Let's replace the iron. So we kept it right within that specialty. Just like the gastroenterologist, we know he's bleeding. I'll do a scope. Uh, here's a hematologist. Here's a patient on chemotherapy for breast cancer. They're having hot flashes. What can you do without estrogen? So we keep the information for the specialists in the areas they understand. Mm-hmm. So even though the hematologist had seen experience with testosterone, he wasn't concerned because he wasn't going to replace it, but he would replace the iron. Okay. So I give Eric the iron treatments with Dr. XYZ. He comes back to me for the testosterone shots, and the rest of the story is Eric's. I also want to add, as far as the scopes go, they also gave me what's called the double balloon scopes. Double balloon. Double balloon endoscopy and colonoscopy. That doesn't sound fun. What is a double balloon? Imagine Imagine you're flushing with one or sucking out with one so you can actually go ahead and blow it up and look. So it's almost like, you know, you've got... You know, two lanes of the highway. One lane will put water in. The other lane will look. So this way they could actually, instead of having a scope with an empty stomach, blow up the stomach, blow up the colon, stretch it. Trust me, I wouldn't want to be awake for either one of those. I hope you weren't during either one of them. But it's it's a lot of discomfort. But the whole idea was this was the newest, best possible treatment, better than the ones he had before, and they didn't show an answer either. Dang. So we got him the most scientific, best thing out there, and it still didn't have an answer. So you're spinning back the clock again to the 50s, so to some medication that worked back then that's helping him. Yeah. Right? And, Basically? And, and Eric will tell you that uh, when the count came up and uh, when the shots worked, he'd come back and say, can I have a little bit more of this? And, you know, you know, little Eric came out to play at 4 in the morning, you know, things like this. Say, I, I'm alive again. I have some hope that I can recover. I have issues about my humanity about my manliness that yes i have a disease and maybe it's not curable but it's not going to kill me at this point in time i can live my life and i can put this on the black burner on the back burner instead of thinking that this is what drives my life every second of the day well are we saying that he does have a specific disease then he has a bleeding disorder that no one knows why or where so you call that a disease, though? You don't sure. know what it is, but it's... It's anemia from a GI bleed somewhere okay. that no one knows where. And we can't cure it. But we can make the body strong enough that it can manufacture, at this point in time, 
more blood than he can lose. Okay. Therefore, it doesn't kill him. So after you started these shots, were you feeling noticeably different? After a few weeks, yes. Yes. More energy? Yes. Stronger. Walking up the stairs instead of crawling? Yes. And I have to also uh, make a distinction. Because of my religious beliefs, I don't engage in premarital sex. But that's still the four in the morning thing. Is still an, it's an indicator that as a man you'd like to at least know that you have some potential. <laughs> I hear you there, too. You know, just good to know it's there. Just in case. <laughs> well, I, hey, I, I, my future is ahead of me. <laughs> oh. oh man see the difference my future's ahead of me versus i think whether i'm going to live the day or not that's what we're talking about uh-huh. we, the, the whole idea was there's hope that something can be done instead of telling me i'm going to go home and die mm-hmm. i mean that's black and white that's what this is all about that's what all these seminars all these podcasts were talking about is people came in and said the standard protocols don't work they told me i was going to die with this and lo and behold, there is something that works, and it's bioidentical hormones, and it's some of the things Dr. Lichten's been researching and looking at, and some things are 50 years old. And hello, world, you don't have to take no for an answer. And I'm convinced my the best times of my life are still ahead of me. And uh, having a doctor that I have confidence in and also respects my, uh, you know, personal points of view and judgments is invaluable. It gives a sense of, you know, comfort knowing that you're not alone out there. Absolutely. And his entire office staff is that way. They're, uh, they're very nice. They are. So how are you feeling now? I mean, today? I feel good today. I, I still fight some depression because I'm alone most, most of the time. Mm -hmm driving for seven hours in a car doesn't help right but that's circumstantial that's something i have to change that's not medical well it seems like the balancing the hormones would be able to help the depression to some degree well i'm going through some family thing issues and the more distance i can put between myself and that and move on with my life you know like finding a companion again remarrying that type of thing once I get closer to that, uh, that's what I mean by their circumstance. I'm I'm one of those people that I'd rather not wait for tomorrow what I could have done a few days ago. Uh-huh. So I'm in, I'm in a hurry to use whatever time I have left because I put a lot of value on it. You find though sometimes when you're trying to hurry to get these things together, they seem even farther. It's like when <laughs> the, the minute you stop looking is the minute they start happening. Well, of course. Right. <laughs> How long have you been divorced now? Ten years. Ten years. Still uh, stinging from that a little bit? Not like I was. No. And feeling... It used to take me 10 to 15 minutes to get off the floor in the morning. I still sleep on a air mattress on the floor, just out of stubbornness. But um, Stubbornness? I remember one day they came and took everything away, <laughs> and I didn't have a bed left to sleep in. So um, I uh, decided until I had every last thing paid off, I wasn't going to start buying things I didn't uh, 
someone could walk in and walk off with again. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Funny how life has a way of scarring us. Oh, I don't look at it that way. Uh, well, maybe. I was brought up affluent. My father was a dentist. Uh, if you saw how little I have right now, you'd uh, be surprised. I've learned that the less is more. It's less to take care of. And uh, I try to lead as simple a life as possible. And I'm happy that way. Mm-hmm. It might not work with a marriage, but being single, I can still do it. Right. Yeah, the air mattress, uh, when you find a, a new girl, will have to go out the window, I think. But I'm still comfortable. <laughs> I mean, right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not deprived. I'm the luckiest person in the world. That's most right. Pe- most you, you, pe- you're not, uh, you're not uh, in the hospital with a blood count blowing, dropping below five. Most people that have been through what I went through aren't alive to uh, gain the experience of what it takes to survive, to get the help, to get through the process, and then do something with it. So you actually think that going through this and going through all the hard times not knowing if you'd make it or not, um, in the end, when this is most of this is behind you, you feel enlightened to some degree from your experience? I feel something. I feel stronger. Mm-hmm. I feel... I'm not the tough guy mentality, but I know I can make it through things other people wouldn't consider. Do you think... Uh, or with your religious conversion, uh, did that happen during all of this turmoil? I was around it for years. The week of my divorce, I was so weak and sick, and this is every day, mm-hmm. I went and got baptized instead of going to my divorce. So, yeah, it's helped. Instead of going to your divorce? I didn't even have an attorney. I just... Interesting. I didn't want any more conflict. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> you know? Mine is so high conflict, I'd like to just do that too i'll go get baptized instead you're just a bulldog biting your ass <laughs> wow well you know what when you don't have a whole lot there's no lot to take away from you is there well right. they try yeah they they, they try to bleed to you you know but you didn't have enough blood so they couldn't get blood out of you either so they no. couldn't even sell off your blood no they want to get it if you don't have it right then and there they want to attach it for when you do get it <laughs> that's what that's what their goal is Thanks for the heads up. Sneaky little buggers. I I, I consider myself so fortunate, and uh, I consider myself part of the Lichten family, whether I am or not, I don't know, but uh, I feel that way. Well, you must be if you've been invited on this radio show. You must be a company. Hey, we treat all our families with the old common verbiage that says, I treat people the way I would like to be treated if I were in the same, in their situation. Yeah. Isn't much more complicated than that. If you're edemic, like Eric was at the point in time, then you're going to feel really crummy. So we, physical can make you psychologically question yourself. There's no question about that. And as long as you know it's real, whether it's PMS or migraine or cramps, things that other people can't see, you know, trust your own judgment. You know, being depressed because you're low on thyroid is a story we're going to do in the future. Uh, if you think, think something's wrong, you know, 98% of the time it's not psychosomatic. There is something real. On the other hand, when we have external stressors, you know, divorce, 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 uh, or other, you know, wife ill, uh, all these do play a role on 
how you keep it together. And it's not like something you can cut out like a tumor. You know, even if you don't go to the divorce or you go there with your lawyer or whatever, you can't, it takes years to get these evil forces out of your life. Mm -hmm. At some point in time, you have to realize that they can't affect you, but it takes years before you realize that these negative forces really have no power unless you give them power. I have to tell you, I wondered for years what made me so different than everybody. And a lot of it, I believe, was I just didn't feel good. And, you know, I'd been in an auto accident. I had migraines for several years at one point. And I go through this, and I don't know what's going on. And um, the hard part is, you know, what's the term? Psychological mirror. I think Nathaniel Brandon used that. It's when everybody's looking at you, and you can see it through their eyes looking at you, (laughs) that there's something wrong with you, even when, you're trying harder than anybody that you think, and uh, you want to be normal, but every time you look up, everybody's looking at you, and you can, I don't know how to explain it, but you have that feeling that something isn't right. Mm-hmm. Well, you did really well explaining it, matter of fact. Kind of almost a, like an out-of-body or third mm-hmm. person you're, you're seeing this? Or? It's a foil. You know, you're looking in the mirror, but the mirror is somebody else's how they're looking at you, you know, as you see. And people have, you know, looked at you, looked at me, looked at Eric, say, well, you know, there's something wrong with him. Whether the doctor's saying, well, we know he's bleeding because his blood count's down because he's not draining blood out, but we don't know what to do. So it frustrates the doctors that they don't have the answer, you know. Don't feel well for the friends or colleagues or work and say, well, you know, is he just trying to get out of work? Well, you got to know from the doctor, but is he really sick? You know, then in your interpersonal relationship, well, I'm too tired to go out. Well, does he really want to be with us or not? So there's all these different interplays in society that we deal with. And part of what we've done in our sessions here is to explore medicine, not just as a unique entity like, you know, putting your dollar bills into the coin machine to get your diagnosis, but actually how the disease plays on the individual. You you and I talked about the roles of how men and women play divorce, how they play their kids against people. Uh, We've talked now about the psychology of what it's like to feel well. What's the psychology like when someone believes that you're really not faking it? Um, How you feel when you're part of a family, which was brought up today. Mm -hmm. There's all these interplays that a doctor or any person that's part of humanity has to recognize that their input is one that affects other people and those other people affect you. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're talking about here. You know, Eric gave his point of view of what it felt like to be alone. He doesn't feel such alone. If the doctors say we don't have an answer, but he's feeling better, he doesn't need their answers we don't know because he knows he's making some progress. So this is what we're talking about. It's not always black and white. You know, humanity does have its shades of color and commitment and involvement. So, you know, use it as a glue to hold people together. You know, I read something the other day. We're talking about um, is it real or is it not real? But we've talked about placebo effect before. Um, I think it was WebMD I was reading on this, and there was a new report that shows that pharmaceutical companies have a new problem. And the problem is is that the placebo factor is playing such a role in these double-blind tests that uh, you know they're, they're disproving the validity of these new drugs because the placebo effect is working almost as well as the drug. 
Well, that's the problem we have when we don't have endpoints. Like, do you feel better on the new Zoloft Paxil Seraphin? Well, I feel 30% better. Well, if I give you placebo, you feel 28% better. And then they say, look, this is 2% better than placebo. Well, to me, that's like, hello? Right. What ballpark are we in? Here we have a fellow who comes in and says, my blood count is 5. We get him to a blood count of 15. It ain't going to happen on placebo. It's a real diagnosis. It's a real measurement. Here's a diabetic comes in with a percentage of red cell sugar of 10%. Should be 6%. He goes on our treatment. He's 7%. He took a placebo. He's not going to get better. So the numbers we're using are just so dramatically different than placebo effects. But they're cheap and they're available and they're already been FDA approved. Therefore, no drug company will promote it. So you think some drug rep's going to come into the office and say, you know what, don't use our Bietta or don't use our Avandia or don't use our Resolin before it was taken off the market or don't use our new insulin. Dr. Lichten has some great data. It shows a 100% response. If you're using testosterone, the guy has low testosterone, his diabetes will get better. I don't think there's a drug company out there doing that. I can't figure out why. Maybe it has to do because they make less money. Well, why could there not be a placebo effect with if you're doing a, a test on testosterone? I mean, are, I mean, are you saying that there's absolutely no way you could uh, mentally raise your testosterone level, but yet right. with other placebo effects, they are mentally achieving the, the results of that drug? Well, let's say I give you a shot and say, say this is going to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. 30% say they feel better. That's great. But not one of those 30% are going to raise their testosterone level 200%. The psychology of a placebo effect is real. But the placebo effect's not going to make, you know, Eric run 50% stronger. It's not going to make his mental focus 50% better. Mm. It's not going to go ahead and raise his blood count. These are real, solid objective measurements. Subjective means I feel better. Objective Mm -hmm. means, well, your blood count went up 200%. Mm -hmm. So that's the point I make with all these people who've come in here. You know, what was the objective? The most subjective effect of all was Denise and says, well, instead of having a seizure every single month, 10 hours before my period, I didn't have one. Well, a seizure, I guess, is objective, isn't it? If someone goes ahead and falls down, bites her tongue and, and urinates on themselves, that's pretty objective. But if she's reporting it, it's really sort of subjective. But the change of what's the odds of a placebo effect working for 12 months a year for 23 years? Mm. You see what I'm saying? That's the point. These tests we're using, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, anemia, have real, excuse me, have real, real measurements. And that's what the science is about. The evidence-based medicine protocols that, that the pharmaceutical companies are selling show minimal changes. Like we talked about the diabetic dropping an A1C 10 points. They'll report and get approval for dropping 0.1. Mm-hmm. Again, FDA is approving drugs that, you know, aren't necessarily the best, but they're picking up two, three, four, five hundred million dollars per drug that they approve. So what the hell, population is a bunch of sheeple anyway, and we'll just treat them as such. Did you say sheeple? Yeah, you like that word? <laughs> I like it. Sheep people. Sheeple. I like it. It applies. You know, we're in our final five minutes here, gentlemen. Anything uh, that we've left out? Anything you need to add to this, Eric? I just want to thank Dr. Lichten, not only for uh, treating me, but uh, 
for continuing to treat me and uh, everyone on his staff. It's, it's a nice day to see anyone from the office. It's a different approach, isn't it? I mean, we interview a lot of patients here, and I'm, I'm meeting all of these patients, a lot with similar storylines. You know, they've been everywhere else. They were desperate. It's fun to go to the doctor when you get better. It is. And it's fun to have hope. The word hope keeps coming up. I, I take my IV iron with cancer patients. The look in these people's eye, they'll look at you, and you can tell the people that have no more hope. You can see it. I've got hope. That's got to be uh, tough to to watch. You know, in the same room, you know, looking into the eyes with no hope. But, but yet I, they're in that room. But no matter how bad I feel that day, I feel a hundred times better than they could ever feel. Right. And I realize it, and it shames me to not be more grateful for what I have today. Hmm. Well, we feel it's a privilege that we have people who come to us and trust us to do the best we can. And you know, I realize a lot of what we do is outside the box but you know it doesn't matter what counts is what works okay and when someone says to someone well there's nothing we can do for you you know i hate that uh there's times that we have to say we don't know but you know as long as we have you know breath and uh, soul yeah we'll give it a try and that's what it's all about hope favorite word that's right health optimize prevention Early intervention. We just talk, call it testosterone and a few other tricks. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Eric. Uh, it was uh, fun to hear your story of how you got better. It's always a fun thing to hear. Well, the honor was mostly mine. Thank you. Hey, if you'd like to contact Dr. Lichten yourself for a consultation, he's available. You can reach him at 248-593-9999. I'll give you that number one more time. It's 248 248- 593-9999. Dr. Lichten also has a website. It's usdoctor.com. All kinds of great information there. It's a place where you can also pick up his textbook of bioidentical hormones. And if you'd like to ask a question for the show, you can do that by writing us at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Steve Peck for The Lichten Lifestyle. Stay healthy, everyone.